Hello, everyone. It's Artem, and today I am joined by Philip Van Nostrand. Philip is a New York City-based photographer with a strong background in weddings, commercial, and lifestyle projects. He's an expert in capturing bright cinematic lifestyle imagery. He's been published in New York Times, Dwell Magazine, Fortune.com, Brides, Vogue, Style Me Pretty, Fast Company, Huffington Post, Forbes.com, Parade Magazine, The Not New York, and was a masterclass speaker at WPPI in 2016, 2017, and 2019. Philip, welcome. Yay, thank you very much. Happy to be here. Quite a resume, sir. Ah, yes, I've been doing this for a little while, so. Excellent. So yeah. thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time. I really want to dive into who you are. Of course, most people know you as a photographer. A lot of people know you as the curly-haired photographer. I think that's been a yeah. moniker you've been using probably throughout the years, right? Uh-huh. So that's safe to say that that's a pretty big part of your brand in the sense of that's not going to uh, change. No, no haircuts in the future. That'll. No, I cannot imagine. My hair is like, <clears throat> like Samsung and the Samsung in the Bible. Um, I'd lose all my power if I cut my hair. I um, gotcha. Has, has there been anything in the past, like any cornrows or any like, no, uh, no, no, nothing. I, honestly, uh, little known fact, my hair was, like completely straight until I was about 12 years old and it was parted down the middle like bowl cut style like blonde hair California kid kind of Kurt Cobain style haircut until I was about 12 years old and then it started curling when puberty hit and okay. then by my senior year of high school it was like completely curly wow I didn't know that that can happen as far as just the I know hair color changes I didn't know that the hair texture yeah, I guess so interesting and you were like bright blonde uh, yeah, very, very blonde. Now it's like kind of sandy, blonde, brown. Wow, okay. Any cornrows in the future? Anything just for no, a night or two? I'm never going to do cornrows in my entire life. <laughs> Even in like the early 2000s and everybody seemed to be rocking them? Nope. And, but you have long enough hair to do that or to, to, to get yeah, a braid really going? Long. When it's wet, it goes down to like my nose. <laughs> wow. Yep. Excellent. So outside of the personal brand, um, you've got, of course, your most people know you, Phil Van Nostrand. As I had mentioned, the, the large resume, the lifestyle shoots, the hospitality photography, the wedding photography. Take us a little bit more through Phil as far as the person. So you grew up in California, correct? Yes. Can you tell us yeah, I grew up in California. I was, uh, uh, I was into things like skateboarding a lot when I was younger and hacky sacking and um, just kind of like California type thing. I took up surfing for a couple of years. Um, in high school, I ran cross country. I, I was like pretty athletic actually. I did a lot of like hacky sacking at lunch and everywhere and ran cross country and played some badminton and all that stuff. So, um, and, then, and then through high school and like through college and after that, I, I was really into, I, I worked with youth a lot. So I was like, tutoring, um, substitute teaching. I was a teacher for a little while. Wow. And my whole life sort of revolved around youth work. Excellent. So I think you'd mentioned surfing. I'm pretty sure that's a requirement when you live in California. Yes, a little bit. I used to work in advertising and we would work with some agencies on the West Coast and in like the LA area and the San Francisco area, San Diego. Yeah. And I think after about 2 p.m., the office is just shut down and everybody goes surfing. Yeah, that's, that's a very California thing. Is that, I remember, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I remember 
they call them millionaire surfers. Um, <laughs> they're people who have like construction businesses or like, you know, they're rich families who make a lot of money, but, but the waves still take priority. Wow. Okay. So even though business is going on and the show must go on, it's still, Hey, 2 PM, everything it's else. It's definitely a different mode of life than like East coast work ethic. Uh, yeah. wow. get things done. Yeah. Quality of life is very high though. You know? So what prompted the move from California, let's serve it to PM and, and until the day goes on to let's hop into New York city, the, the city that never sleeps. Yeah. Um, I, I had started visiting New York a little bit later in my life, like when I was 28 years old, mm-hmm. uh, quickly fell in love with the city. I loved like how active it was and how much potential there was and everything just seemed so like amazing here. There was, modeling like in terms of photography there's like modeling agencies here all the advertising agencies all the magazines are coming out of new york all the top photographers seem to be from here so i just wanted to like get a piece of that in my life and um i moved out here when i was 32 to pursue i was doing already weddings and and portraits and stuff in santa barbara but i wanted to pursue like a commercial career in photography as well got it and so you felt that the biggest opportunity was here for that yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could have done it in Santa Barbara, LA, but LA is a little bit more like Hollywood industry scene. And I really wanted like that commercial. I just wanted to do New York, you know? Right. What is it that draws you to that hospitality or commercial work? Because it's very different than the event photography world. Yeah. So you, you mentioned hospitality because on my, my current commercial website, I, I'm, the focus is like 100% hospitality. Yeah. That's, that's sort of where I'm headed towards in that direction. Um, uh what's it's different it's a completely different everything like the events world is so much its own bubble and there's like certain type of people events work is um a a lot more reactive in terms of photography like i'm taking pictures of moments that are happening i'm not necessarily creating them so much okay virtual world you're you're creating something from the ground up and you're literally like uh designing a vision or a dream you know and then taking a picture of it and it's a lot slower and a little more methodical uh, so very different worlds and same different like types of networking as well and stuff. Sure. Well, I I always look at it from my perspective in the event world where not only is it the creative control that you have more of in that hospitality space or in that corporate space, I just think the nature of events where as a photographer, you, you're pushing through aunts and uncles to get the right mm-hmm. shot. You have to be on a staircase to get something. There's always so many different challenges that are in your way that you possibly can't even predict at one point or another. And then on the other side of things in hospitality or in corporate, you get to build everything from the ground up. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, I think event photographers have to have a really incredible sense of timing and, and like totally different skill sets. Uh, I think for commercial stuff, it's much more mastery of light and um, maybe like posing or, or I don't know, in, but but a lot more like yeah the light control and 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 working with like a bunch of different people and, and making sure like everyone has the same vision. Perfect. And you'd mentioned your work in the corporate area, and I know a lot of your corporate clients include like Airbnb, Jose Cuervo, New School, Lubaton, you know, Condé Nast. I think that there's a lot of opportunity there for you, and you're well on your way, sir. So those are those are not clients to be ashamed of. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Let's hop a little bit back to your childhood. So I want to go back to California. You are a little kid in California. 
uh, one thing that I noticed on, on one of your websites is a note that you have that reads, many thanks to my mom and dad who never questioned my career path and always supported me in all my endeavors. I thought that was awesome. And I want to hear a little bit more about that. And then I want to hear about how the transition occurred where you said you did later in life, obviously move to New York because of the opportunity, but was it the sole career path you always had in your entire life? Or did you start like, I'm going to be a professional surfer. And then it went to something else. And then it went to something else. Obviously you'd mentioned teaching. So the yeah. work with the youth, take us through that very quickly as far as how we went from kid in California to a photographer in New York city. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I have to credit my parents because I, I think a lot of people, when they try to take off on like a creative career, parents, well, most parents I feel like don't are, are a little bit worried for their kids because there's usually not much money there, blah, blah, blah. But I never heard my parents like say no to any of my, my ideas. And I think, um, and in terms of the trajectory, uh, I was teaching and, and also taking pictures at the same time. And, and in the end, um, teaching wasn't giving me the amount of freedom that I really like strived for and loved about photography and just working for myself. And, right. and I was teaching middle school math um, at a point when I was like, would, I really wanted to be teaching high school. I, I liked that age group more, but I wasn't, I was, I kept going back to this same junior high school. And so, um, I quit the teaching job. I, I just did like tutoring and photography and everything was on my own schedule. And I think that my whole life and every decision I've made kind of leads me towards more freedom instead of less freedom. Very nice. What was the craziest idea that you brought to your parents where they were like, all right, if you want to. Um, no, I mean, I, you know, my, my career wasn't like so wild. I, I was, I was kind of just like a scrappy substitute teacher for a while. And I think my, my dad, I mean, the craziest thing was that like, I thought I could just be a substitute teacher forever because I still had freedom, <laughs> but it was like substitute teacher in California makes like $80 a day. It's not very much. Right. My, my dad was like, why don't you just get your teacher credential just in case. And, and he, he kind of encouraged me to like grow up a little bit uh, from just substituting to actually like having a teaching job. Now to my understanding, please correct me if I'm wrong and it might be different state to state, but substitute teachers find out that they're needed like that morning or maybe the night before. Yeah. It, it was the same in California, but, um, I was a little bit more savvy about it. Like that's one way to get a job. But if you kind of like butter up the secretaries and stuff, <laughs> like every day that I'd finish a job, I'd be like, Hey, do you have anybody who needs help tomorrow or the next week or whatever? Because, because they know what teachers are going to be gone. Sure. Like, a teacher might wake up sick, but there's also teachers who just are on vacation or have like travel or need to do something else. And right. Maternity leave. All of those jobs. So I would actually like be able to set my schedule like a week in advance. Got it. But as you had mentioned before, not exactly the most financially sustainable career. No, definitely. Just subbing. <laughs> um, so you had brought up your dad. I know that there was a large influence in terms of that entrepreneurial mindset from your dad. Yeah, my, my dad, my whole life growing up, my dad was a plumber and he mm -hmm. had his own business and he grew it from like just doing his own thing to having like two or three trucks and, and other employees going wow. out. Of the world and, um, and then he sold all that to pursue his dream. When I was in high school and he was like in his 40s, he literally quit he, he started taking night classes and, and pursued his dream of uh therapy and helping people and he transitioned from plumbing to therapy uh, while i was like finishing high school so that was kind of jump 
do that, to pursue his dreams, to be able to change his career midlife and also uh, run a successful business. And I, I feel like I, I gained a lot just from like witnessing that in my house. Yeah, I would think when you see that kind of hustle, it, it can't not affect you yeah, psychologically, yeah. right? Yeah. Fantastic. So you talked about the freedom. Uh, what many people might know about you, what some people may not, you travel abroad once a year, uh, at least once a year, two different locations outside of the event world. So I'm not talking destination weddings or anything like that. You personally do this for yourself. Yeah, yes, yes. Since 2003. So um, every single year I've, I've managed to go to a completely new place in the world, like a country that I've never been to, not just like a new state or something. Mm -hmm. So a new country, a new passport stamp. Uh, since 2003, I make it a point to travel for fun once a year. And the last few years included like Singapore and Kuala Lumpur. And then the year before was Faroe Islands, which is out by Iceland and, and Finland. Yeah. And then uh, year before that was, shoot, I don't even know. Every year is somewhere different. <laughs> yeah. So Phil, what prompted that? Were you really like just on your couch one day and you're like, I'm going to travel and I got to see more of the well, world? No, so what, what happened was I, I studied abroad in 2003 and I, I ended up traveling like around the world on semester at sea. And then 2004, I went with some people from my church at the time and volunteered in like India and Nepal. And mm -hmm. then 2005, I was like, wow, I've gone somewhere new like the last two years. Maybe I'll go somewhere new again. And then, and then after like the third year, I just said, okay, this is my habit. Like I'm doing this every single year. Um, so I just noticed the pattern. And I started doing this actually with my birthday now too. Every year on my oh. birthday, I'm also going to go somewhere new, but it doesn't have to be a new country, just like a new place in America or a new place somewhere. Something you haven't experienced before. Yeah. yeah. Do you it, could find be like, like it could be like a new town, like two hours away from New York, but I just want to go like, so, so the previous year I was in um, Newport, Rhode Island. Cause I kept hearing good things about it, but I've never been. So. Right. So do you find that by doing that, that opens you up into understanding people a little bit better? Cause I, my theory is we're all deep down, we're all the same. It doesn't matter what clothes you're wearing or what you put on your chicken or anything like yeah. that. That's really yeah. the only difference is, you know, maybe some, some musical cultural stuff. But outside of that, I mean, we're at, at its core, we're all the same. Yeah. Have you found that to be pretty yeah, accurate? I, I think my theory is, is, is like that, but just a little different. Like my theory is that everybody around the world is, is incredibly kind. And so when mm -hmm. I go places, like even in Newport, I, I stayed in an Airbnb and the host were awesome. They bought me a drink or, you know, they, they like met me for ice cream and a drink or whatever, like the first night and gave me their bicycle to ride. They didn't have to do that. But, but I, almost anywhere I go, I'm going to meet people and they're going to be incredibly generous. And I, I think that's like the thing that I've realized. And I love traveling because it always like grows me a little bit and it forces me to confront my own fears or whatever, or just be alone and, and figure things out. And, and I like that. I like that, uh, that growth edge that comes with travel. Right. So a little bit out of your comfort zone. Yeah. What's been like, you just mentioned is something scary. Has there been anything that's been like a scary tale of travel? Um, yeah, certainly. I think, uh, yeah, well, I was traveling through Bolivia for a month <laughs> And I was, I actually was with some locals traveling through, like going to this uh, marketplace that was up on the hill and it was this huge open market. I think it was like the largest uh, like flea market kind of thing in uh, South America or something. Mm -hmm. 
and we were walking around they're like oh it's a little dangerous like make sure you like watch your belonging you know there's pickpockets here so i put my wallet in my front pocket um i had just taken out like the rest of my cash for that trip which was like 400 dollars was gonna last me a while out there and um and lo and behold i got pickpocketed while i was out there (laughs) my wallet they took my my like credit cards all my cash i had zero money i had to have my mom like wire me money from western union and just sort of like finish the rest of the trip it wasn't like dangerous but it was like incredibly dumb for me to have all my money and and i still got i got duped so you still got pickpocketed yeah and you took the necessary precautions i guess there is a level of some credit to go to a pickpocket like that to just oh they did a very good job yeah to just get you it was a multiple person operation i uh i was walking there was kind of a narrow path and and my foot accidentally caught on this guy's hat who was like working on the ground or whatever, mm-hmm. which was the first mistake because I, it wasn't accidentally caught. He actually hooked my, my foot. Wow. I was like looking down trying to unget my foot. I thought I was like disturbing him and he was yelling at me. And then a bunch of people passed me at, at that moment. Like they started walking by me. And in that moment, like someone grabbed my wallet out of my pocket because my, my attention was diverted. So in retrospect, you can kind of break this down NCIS style where you're like, that's yeah, yeah I know exactly what happened. It was brilliant. And I wow. let that happen again. <laughs> yeah. You got to go back and be like, I, I figured it out. Where's my wallet? Try it out again. <laughs> yeah. Got to break it down for him. Storyboard the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so hopping back to California, you were a kid growing up in uh, Santa Barbara, correct? Yes. Okay, great. And you're, you're, you're sitting down there. You're enjoying full house as we've talked about. Uh, so you are in California. Do you feel like from childhood, you felt like photography is the way to go? I mean, obviously you've explored different career paths, but was that always something that was on the back of your mind or was it something? No, it wasn't. I I honestly, like, I think I thought I was going to be a teacher or I was like heavily involved with my church. And so Mm -hmm. I, uh, I was like a youth pastor for a while. I was playing in my church band. Wow. Um, I think I thought that I would be like a youth pastor or a teacher or something like that for the rest of my life. I didn't even have a digital camera until I was 21 and I studied abroad. So it was the travel that like got me hooked on photography. Um, and I didn't shoot my first wedding until I was 28. So I, I, it was like a, I didn't even think about photography until I was almost halfway through college. And then I didn't even get paid for it till like six years, seven years later. So it was definitely not in my mind until I started hanging out with more friends who were doing it and it just seemed really cool. And I liked, I liked it. Yeah. So it just really came literally from documenting your own experiences. Exactly. Wow. Excellent. And then, so it then transpired into, Oh, this could actually be a career and it's better than figuring out whether or not this is something that is going to be a yeah. path for substitute teachers or not. Yeah, exactly. And also, um, yeah, I mean, you know, my salary as a teacher was like $3,000 a, a month which was really low, uh, right. but it didn't matter. It was like something that I loved and I could, I could afford it as a scrappy, like 20 something. But um, now I can make that in a day or, you know, half a day shooting a wedding, which is really crazy to me. And I love that, you know, I love that I can make my teacher's salary in, in an afternoon and, and, uh, and spend the rest of my month doing whatever I want, which is still working, but um, sure. Being, you know, mind switch there. But being able to do whatever you want in New York City gives you a lot of different options. Yeah, it's true. I love so it what, here. You've yeah. been in New York for a while now. What is the most quintessentially New York thing that you find is your favorite thing to do? 
Um, oh my gosh. I guess I love um, taking the subway. Well, okay, how about this? A year ago, I, I trained for the marathon and I ran the New York marathon and that was probably like a highlight of my, my time in New York. Um, we got to back up on that. So you had mentioned obviously being pretty athletic growing up. Yeah. New York marathon is a uh, little bit of a, a, quite a challenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I always knew I was a runner from high school. So, um, and the New York marathon, like I'd watched it a few times. So I, I, in my back of my head, I was like, oh, one day I got to try this and do this. And I figured with like the right amount of training, I could pull it off. I didn't need to like break any records. I just needed to finish it. Um, which I, I figured was possible. So I did it. I set a goal for myself to like finish it in four hours or less. And I ended up doing it in three hours, 59 minutes and 17 seconds. Wow. Yeah. Would you do it again? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> One and done. I, I, it truly was like a bucket list item. I didn't feel like I needed to push that anymore. It was a miss. It's a terrible experience at the end. <laughs> How much recovery? did that entail uh, oh gosh it's you know six months later i still have some, like one toenail growing back a little bit so it's like i don't know i mean i, I was able to like walk fine a week later but it, it was a lot it, it was like very painful at the end wow so yeah uh, the ongoing recovery is still in progress yes got it all right fantastic outside of the marathon since you're not going to be doing it annually we've determined Mm -hmm. Anything else that you feel like is if somebody comes to you as a guest from California or a friend from another place, mm -hmm. what is the one thing that we have to do in New York City before you go? Oh, yeah. Uh, gosh, I would say like try to live like a local as much as possible. So I, I think that's a much interesting, more interesting New York is to see where people go to their local bars or like see some live music. I always like to take guests to um, stand-up comedy in New York. It's really yeah. amazing. And I love going to Eastville Comedy Club. They're out in Brooklyn, but uh, mm -hmm. it's a cool club with like legit New York working comedians. And, and that's a fun experience. Excellent. So comedy clubs almost on every corner. That's a very quintessential New York yeah. sort of thing. Are you a, a street food kind of guy? Uh, sometimes. I prefer like the smaller restaurants in my neighborhood. Not quite yeah. street food, but not like big chains. Um, and I live on the Lower East Side. There's like vegan Mexican, there's Greek, there's amazing Thai food. It's all like two blocks from me. So Nice. So I want to hop into just some quick personality things. I know we went over a couple of things, obviously, throughout our conversation. Mm -hmm. And I want to touch up upon a couple of things that I know you had given me um, as far as some, some data to share with us. And again, I want to really get into Phil more so than Phil Van Nostren photographer. Okay. So uh, growing up in California, and I had asked as just a fun question, what your favorite TV show was growing up? Mm -hmm. And you, you had put down Full House. Yeah, I mean, I had a lot when I was growing up, but I, that was the one that like kind of stands out to me. I think me and my sister watched that like all the time. Okay. Is there anything, was it just because you were with your sister and that was sort of like a special bonding time or is anything that really? No, it was like, you? it was like just a funny show. And I think I was like the right age to appreciate like some of the adult humor and the kids humor. And it was just like so popular at that time. It, it was like the, one of the main shows. Have you watched it since like as an adult? 
no not at all <laughs> I, I, it's a little, I think it's a little cheesy now but uh <laughs> it, it, again in retrospect well i yeah. think the definition of nostalgia is remembering things better than they actually were yeah exactly yep. and i think that that definitely falls into place i also did watch i'm sure most of us watched full house yeah. um, i was an aunt becky fan i actually had the opportunity to meet Lori lachlan at an event wow that's amazing yeah yeah this was pre um pre-issues that she's having but um yeah she was super nice and uh i was always a big fan and uh can we just i don't know how you feel maybe maybe this is a hot take but i feel like john stamos is one of the coolest people ever yeah he still is i've seen him in like uh different interviews and stuff he's he's very cool yeah yeah he's just kind of cool laid back very good hair like yourself He takes yeah, he's, he's awesome. I, I agree with that. It's funny. <laughs> nice. Um, anything else from childhood that sparks any kind of uh, wonderful memories? And you'd mentioned, obviously, your sister. So is there anything that you guys uh, did together? Yeah, we did a lot of stuff together, you know, like through high school and middle school. We were both a part of the same youth groups and kind of shared a lot of the same friends. So, I mean, all of that stuff. I think so was, I think I was going to say like one more thing from uh, like, I think one funny memory from from that time was my very first, one of my like most memorable CDs that I ever got was uh, Lauren Hill, Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Yeah. That was my transition from like alternative rock or like singer songwriter stuff into hip hop. And that was like my first hip hop album that I loved. Not a bad one to have. I'm pretty sure that one, I think like won every award possible. Yeah, it's still timeless. I, that, that's something that has aged very well. I think. It has, yes. Yeah. Very good point. Speaking of which, and speaking of accolades, what has been for you the proudest moment or element of your career thus far? Yeah, I I would say um, I got really lucky. I moved to New York in 2013. I had some friends who were running like this really like amazing burlesque kind of high-end burlesque production mm-hmm. and I, and they did like a nutcracker burlesque it was like dance mixed with burlesque and really beautiful I took pictures for them um, because I knew them from Santa Barbara days okay and then it was getting really really popular and the New York Times did a feature on them and they used my photo and I got published in the New York Times like two months after I moved to New York City oh I remember okay. like going to the um, newsstand and seeing my photo in the news, New York Times newspaper was phenomenal. Um, that was that was six years ago, and I finally, I literally just bought a uh, a frame for that newspaper like this <laughs> last week. So I'm gonna put it up on my wall finally. But you got the newspaper right away, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, I've had it. It's like all yellow, and I've had it for six years. <laughs> I've had a couple copies now. Yeah. Are your uh, parents and most of your family predominantly are they in California? Yeah, every, yeah, my immediate family's all in California. My my dad's aunts and uncles are all spread out over the states, and my mom's side is all in Canada. Oh wow! And how often do you get to see them? Um, I was at I saw my Canadian cousins and stuff um, two I want to say two years ago at Christmas, and I visited other cousins in Montreal uh, last year, which was nice. Very nice. I like that. So as we get a little bit closer towards the end of the episode right now, I just want to throw a couple of quick things at you. It's going to be sort of like a lightning round style. Sure. Uh, consider it this or that. So I'm just going to give you a couple of different options and you tell me personal preference, one or the other, just as a fun little exercise. You okay. Yes. All right. Ready? Yes. All right. Tupac or Biggie? Uh, Tupac. Beatles or Rolling Stone? Beatles. 
Uh, Belle Bib DeVoe or Boys to Men? Boys to Men. NSYNC yeah. or Backstreet Boys? Uh, NSYNC. Okay. Uh, Porsche or Porsche? Porsche. Yeah? Okay. Maybe. We'll discuss that. Uh, necktie, <laughs> necktie or bow tie? Uh, bow tie. Boutonniere or pocket square? Mm, pocket square. Nice. I got to hop back to uh, Porsche and Porsche. <laughs> You're probably right. I've just always called it Porsche. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't know if that was a, um, I mean, a regional thing or I think it is Porsche. I mean, I guess yeah. personal, personal thing. No, technically you're right, but I, maybe Californians or my friends always just said Porsche. Yeah. Got it. Is there anything else that, that is like very Californian? I mean, there's so many stereotypes that people yeah, have of California that are probably not accurate outside of California. I think, I mean, Northern Californians, if you ever hear somebody in your life say hella, then they're from mm-hmm. Northern California. Okay. Um, like, oh, that was hella cool. Or like, we're going to hella do Like, that's very Northern California. I, I think for Southern California, um, there's like surf terms that kind of entered our vernacular over the years. Like, like a grom was like a little like, like twerpy surfer, the little grom, like a grommet, a grom. A grom, um, okay. Or like, yeah, stuff like Shaka Bro. I don't know. It's just like weird surf terms that people... I don't really use those things, but I would hear it a lot growing up. <laughs> the only time I think of something like that would be like a Bart Simpson Kawabunga thing. You're like, uh, yeah, there was that one show, and this was probably when you and I were phasing out of the Nickelodeon stage, mm-hmm. but this was like um, a group of like child surfers. I mean, it was animated. It wasn't like live action or anything. Oh, okay. I, I never saw that. That's funny. Um, yeah, but I'm sure that had all of the phrases and stuff every single time. Got it. Yeah, I think I transitioned out of Nickelodeon around the like Rugrats, Hey Arnold time frame. Same. Yeah, yeah, same. Rugrats was for me. Yeah, last one. Rugrats was fantastic. I think super underappreciated. A lot of adult humor. Um, not necessarily to say it was targeted at adults, but I think it was just a nice yeah. little reward for the adult watching with their child. Yeah, that's funny. Same, um, same with uh, Ren and Stimpy. Was that was that on Nickelodeon? I think so. Yeah. And, and yeah. Beavis and Butthead. That was crazy. Beavis and Butthead was, I think, MTV. Oh, yeah, yeah. When right. MTV was still playing music. Yeah. Or, or at least had programming based around music. Mm-hmm. I have not seen MTV literally in years. Years. I don't know no. what they've got going on. Maybe they still have music. Who knows? I don't I have no idea. I, I'd have to find someone who has cable first. <laughs> There's that. And I also feel like... I don't think kids are getting music from like MTV anymore. Like you no. remember how there used to be like world premiere of this music video. And yeah. Like, now it's YouTube. Yeah. You're yeah, right. And like Carson Daly would come out and be like, I got this new Aguilera for you. <laughs> but, that's so funny. Yeah. That's yeah, right. Now it's like you said, like YouTube or TikTok or whatever it is, whatever the next thing is. Yeah. That's where they're getting their music from. True. Which is interesting. I think that's where, uh, you know, the things are evolving and we have to keep up with the times, not only from our business perspective, but also personally. Yeah, definitely. Any parting words before we go? Anything that you want to promote? Anything you want people to be aware of? Uh, the last minute or two is yours, sir. Um, anything you want to share? Um, no, I'm just happy to be on here. I love helping uh, new and upcoming photographers out and I have a lot of little mentees in the world. So I, I'm always down to like, people in, in a good direction and make introductions and answer questions and even take on helpers for jobs that I have in New York. So uh, I was there and 
yeah, just grateful for the opportunity to be on your show. So thank you, Arden. You got it. Now, if anybody wants to reach you that is listening that does not know how to reach you, how do they get a hold of you? Um, yeah, my my personal Instagram, Philip, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-V-N, Philip V-N, V as in Victor, N as in Nancy. That's like the easiest way on Instagram. And from there, you can find my wedding Instagram and my commercial Instagram. Um, and Philip VN everywhere else online too. So. Perfect. Uh, Phil, again, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. I would love to hear more and perhaps another episode down the road. And it's been really fantastic getting into your childhood and just getting into what makes uh, Phil Van Nostrand Phil. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks again.